So you got your answers yet? Nope. Thought that was a rhetorical question. It's a real question. What is the church? What must a church be? What separates a in any gathering of Christians to now going from a, just a group of people hanging out to now a church? What line do you have to cross? What things must you need? Is it a worship team? Is it a sound system? Is it a building? What is the church? What's the difference between a small group and a church? What do you say to your brothers and sisters or to your friends and neighbors who say, oh, I don't need to go to church. I can watch church on TV or I can watch church online. What answer do we have for them? If that's okay, what does the Bible say what a church is? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not going to be long before you. We're going to introduce some some new themes for some and some reminders for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 because the Bible talks a lot about the activity of the church. Um, Acts chapter 4 verses 32 and following is where we get our definition disciple. Some people who are devoted to the word, devoted to generosity, devoted to fellowship, and devoted to prayer. So there is much information about the Bible, what the church should do, what Christians should do. But sometimes I think we overlook what this thing is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, I think gives us a helpful definition of what the church is. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth. Some of your Bibles have a comma right there. That comma says that Paul's about to actually define and explain what he just said. To the church of God at Corinth, and what I mean by that is to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is sometimes overlooked as just a mere greeting. In 1 Corinthians, a weighty book with lots of interesting topics. So if you're like me, you might rush past the intro because you want to get to Corinthians 7 and 12 and 13. And all these fun passages talking about tongues and women head coverings and all this really fun stuff that we will eventually preach through at one point. And we might miss what Paul just did here. Did you catch it? Paul gave us a really ha- handy definition of what this thing is. This thing that we're doing right now. This thing that we, people gathered around all around the city around this time on this day to do. And that is in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, what do you want to mean by that? To those sanctified or made holy or set apart in Christ Jesus. So the first thing that we see is that we must be set apart, made holy, sanctified, not by our own efforts, not by us doing better, but we do that in Christ Jesus, not with Christ Jesus. As in he does his part, we do ours. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're a bad person. You're going to be a bad person until you die. And so if, Jesus ju- if God just sees you, you have no access and no right to him. That's what it means that we are hidden in Christ. So when God looks at you, son and daughter, he doesn't just see you and your imperfections or me and my imperfections. He sees Christ. And that's good news, y'all. That is what we would call the good news, that we are sanctified, made holy, set apart in Christ Jesus. And then that gives us a new identity as saints. So whatever you were before you were a Christian, now you are a saint. 
If you were an addict before you became a Christian, now you are a saint. Yeah. If you were struggling and battling with depression and anxiety and worthiness, you are now a saint. Now, what I'm saying is those things don't just disappear, do they? What's happening is a change of identity. Let me give you an example. Just think about Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world. Imagine he had a son or a daughter. Imagine you are that son or daughter. Now, that does not mean that you won't go through hard things as a person. Is that true? But going through hard things on a private island is a lot different than going through hard things at your apartment at home by yourself, right? Amen. Right? If you want to suffer, you might as well suffer in a beautiful location. Right? Because you have certain rights and privileges as a son of the richest man in the world. You are not exempt from the troubles of this world. You just get to suffer in a little bit better locations, with a little more greater access to resources. And so by God calling you a saint, he's not saying that you don't struggle with addiction. He's not saying that you won't struggle with anxiety or depression. He's not saying that you won't struggle with sin. He's saying now you're struggling with sin as a saint, not as a sinner. Come on, y'all got to get free right now. What y'all doing? I'm preaching. We doing this thing or what? So you struggle not as someone enslaved to sin, enslaved to this thing. You struggle now as a saint with all the access and all the privileges of Jesus Christ himself. There we go. Come on, wake up. So, to those sanctified, set apart, made holy, how? Not with, but in Christ Jesus, called as saints, a new name, a new nature as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Do you see what Paul just did? He said the same thing three different ways. And what he's saying is it's not just you and God, it's us and God. It's them and God, and us, and God, and us, and them. That's what he just did there. He's trying to say that this is a communal thing, a a family thing even. That you are sanctified in Christ Jesus and as saint just like everyone else all around the world who calls on Jesus with a pure heart. And so we have brothers and sisters all around the globe, and that's why even like a hurricane, it's not just a sad story. This is a family matter because there are brothers and sisters that we haven't yet that we are, haven't yet met but we're still related to that are in trouble. And so we come to their aid because they're our brother and our sister, and we will see with them and be with them for all eternity. So if you had to give a definition of what is the church— a simple definition would be 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. People who are made holy in Christ Jesus, who are saints now, and saints together with all those who are also in Christ Jesus. Super informative, but what am I going with this, right? Let me tell you where I'm going. There's a graphic behind me, and there's a, the video that we saw is about be radiant, hashtag be radiant. Yes, we did hashtag be radiant. Um, the video that you saw is one of many that you will continue to see because this is not a new sermon series, y'all. This is a reminder and a refocusing of who we are as a church. Because this is what a church is, but there's a couple of jobs that a church must do. And one of those things is to follow Jesus in seeking to save the lost. Does that sound familiar? 
You've been here last week or the week before or the week before or the week before. You've heard a similar theme that we are called to be about our Father's business. And that's actually captured in this idea of holiness, by the way. So most people think of holiness that's sanctified in Christ Jesus. We think of holiness as kind of this state of pristine perfection. Like we're just clean from being undefiled from the world. And that is part of the definition. But why be clean? Some of your Bible scholars are racking your mind all these metaphors and, and similes that Jesus Christ has used about holiness. The reason we are holy is not so that we can look down on people who are struggling different than we are. The reason we are holy is so that we are ready when the Lord calls our name. Amen. Not just in eternity, y'all, but today. The Lord may need you to speak a word of encouragement to somebody today. Were you in your Bible? Do you have something to give somebody? The, word, the Lord may call you to interact and engage with an unbeliever who is dead in their sins, and are you ready for that conversation? Let me prove it to you in Scripture. Turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 36, so we can see the definition of holiness is a little bit bigger than we think it is. John, in this passage, I'm going to read just one verse, but I want to give you some context. John is, uh, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and he says some, some controversial statements. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, those who were looking at him, said, hey, man, you can't say that. And Jesus begins to respond, I can do what I want, basically, is what he says. But part of his response is verse 36 in John chapter 10. It says, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world? Because I said I am the Son of God. So they accuse him of blasphemy for equating himself as equal with God. And he's like, can you call me a blasphemer when I was the one the Father set apart and made and sent into the world? What do you think that word set apart is? Holy. Let me ask a question. Is Jesus a sinner who needs to be made morally perfect? The answer is no to that one. So holiness is more than just moral perfection. It's more than just being a good person. It's more than just saying no to the world, although that's a part of it. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Being holy is what Jesus was referring to. He is set apart for a specific purpose. So part of the definition of the church, y'all, is that we are people who are set apart. We're set apart for what? We're set apart for the Lord's work. And that work is multifaceted. But the part that I want to focus on today for the remainder of our time is this work of seeking and saving the lost. Let me ask you a question. Some of you have been coming to read it. If this is your first time you get it past, this doesn't apply to you. So guess, you're welcome. If this is your second time or 200th time, this is a question for you. Are you just coming to Radiant or are you being radiant? That's a question for all of us. I think it's a real question. I'm not pointing the finger. This is me too. Are you coming here or are you taking what's here out there? And that's the emphasis I want us to, to nail in on, y'all. For the next several weeks, we're going to provide lots of examples and illustrations and models for us to take what the Lord is doing in us and through us in this place and unleashing hope onto the world. Think about how you became a Christian. How did that happen? 
for most of us, it started with an awkward conversation with somebody who was just willing to start one. Maybe it's a parent who just felt inadequate. It's like, I don't know, but I know you need Jesus, so we're just going to start talking. Maybe it was a neighbor, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was even a, a, someone that you were in a relationship with. There are some of us who the Lord just divinely and sovereignly calls out of our sin all by our own. It happens globally all the time. But for most of us, our story is somebody had a conversation with us to introduce us to Jesus, maybe spent some time with us in the Word. Maybe we grew. Maybe we were at one church, left that church, came to another church. But there was a process and a journey, and the Lord ended that journey for this season right here. But it started with someone willing to say, hey, man, let's have a conversation. Hey, do you know Jesus? Hey, would you be willing to read the Bible? And so the call today, y'all, is very, very simple. I want us to just not just keep coming here. I want us to be who we say we are out there. And that's hard, y'all. I get it. There's a million things to do. School is back in. Sports have consumed our life. Like, I don't even watch sports, but apparently there was a game last night. Pretty big deal. <laughs> from, from my Twitter and Facebook timeline. Um, there's some disagreement between my friends, apparently. Um, so there's, there's all these things that just, that just pull our time and pull our energy, and we see this as just another thing to do, and this is not going to be one of those you need to share the gospel more messages, although it is one of those you need to share the gospel more messages. But it's more than that, y'all. It's more than that. It's a recentering of our lives around this mission. Not something we add to, but something that's at the core of who we are. For example, you probably noticed some different things this Sunday morning, even that the response of reading was done a little differently this morning. The video was done a little differently. We're going to end our service today a little bit differently. We have recentered our Sunday service. I felt like, man, things are going good, but are we, are we drifting a little bit away from what we're here to do? Because we're doing it pretty well and we like it. So even our, we had a, we've been fasting and praying and thinking and reading for weeks as a team to say, okay, how can we make this hour and a half that we get with you guys one day a week? How can we recenter this time on Sunday morning around the mission of God? And you're going to see things begin to change, little things that we're going to do to hopefully remind us and recenter us as a church because we are growing church, absolutely. But growth isn't always a good thing. We know that, right? Like cancer grows, but it'll kill you. So I don't want to just celebrate new people coming. All that's really exciting. Like some of y'all remember when it was like two rows, and those two rows weren't even full, right? Some of us remember the tables. Y'all remember the tables? <laughs> we had to fill it up with tables. Like you sat down. Like we had all these ideas, right? So praise God the Lord is, is drawing people, and healing is happening, and growth is happening. I get a chance to sit down with you as long as, along with Pastor Jake. We get to sit down and do check-ins. We get to see and hear all that God is doing, and it's all good stuff, y'all. We are remarkably blessed as a church. I'm not taking any way, anything away from that. So I'm not saying anything is wrong. I'm saying maybe have we, have we drift a little bit from the laser-like focus about what a church should be about? Are we still as sanctified for the Lord's use as we were in 2017? Are we just as ready today as we were two years ago? Am I just as ready today, or is my time now filled with meetings and planning? And am I on mission? Am I sharing the gospel with unbelievers when I'm not paid to do it? Is my life doing this? And that, began, that was a question I asked myself several months ago and a question that began to revolve around this whole church. And so I thought, man, we need to focus on what's most important, what's going to last forever, because only what you do for the Lord will last, y'all. 
I'm not saying the stuff that you do every day is unimportant. I'm not saying the stuff that I do every day is unimportant. What I'm saying is the stuff that you're going to remember for all eternity is the people that were dead in their sins that are now not because you prayed for them, you shared with them, you sat with them. You picked them up for church. You stayed a little bit later. Those things are what's going to matter. And so really just one point here, y'all. I want us to be Radiant Church, not just show up at Radiant Church. And so to do that, we need all hands on deck. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Usually the verses are on the screen, but I want you to kind of flip the pages and see this for yourself. Have you ever thought about what you're going to put on your tombstone? I think about that sometimes just because it's funny, right? Uh, <laughs> I thought about, like, he almost had it, right? Like, <laughs> something like, oh, what was he trying to do, right? Um, so I think about, like, last words, right? So most of us won't, may not get a chance to have last words, but if you had last words, what would you say? Right? If your family and friends were around you right before you knew the Lord was going to come take you home, what would be the last important message you share to those of you who matter the most to you? Think about that for a second. Friends, family, brothers and sisters, I'm definitely telling my sister she still owes me money. I haven't forgotten. <laughs> pay it to my, uh, my descendants, my beneficiaries. But if you have one shot, a couple sentences, 10 minutes to share the most important words that you could conjure to the people that matter to you the most, what would you say? What if we knew the, the last words of the most important man that's ever lived? Because he wasn't just a man. He was the God-man Jesus. One of the last words that Jesus ever said to his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. These words will be repeated and paraphrased again, and then he'd be taken up in a cloud. In Acts chapter 1, I love the imagery in Acts chapter 1, because as Jesus is taken up after he repeats these words, all the disciples are looking up to heaven because they're seeing the resurrected Jesus ascend on a cloud to heaven. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And they're watching this happen, and they're looking up into the sky, and an angel appears next to them and kind of looks at them and says, hey, what y'all looking at? Go to work, <laughs> you know? Like, Jesus is coming back, y'all. Like, don't worry about it. Jesus is fine. He's coming back. But he's given us to do something in the meantime. And so the last words, Jesus taught and modeled and lived and died and rose again. And his last words to the people that were most important to him were, go therefore. Know that I have all power in heaven and on earth. So don't got to be afraid of nothing. You don't got to worry about them. You don't got to worry about their approval. I hold all power in my hand. So go therefore and make disciples. And are we doing that, church? Not just are you individually doing that, but are we the Radiant Church doing that? Is that what we're about? When someone invited you to Radiant Church, how did they describe it? 
What got you here? I'm not going to ask you to share. Hopefully, y'all. Hopefully. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but hopefully someday soon. Hopefully, what's known about Radiant Church is that they make disciples. They love Jesus. They worship Jesus, and they love the people that God came for. And we train them, and we equip them, and we grieve with them, and we help them, and we live life with them. But that's who we are because that's what Jesus told us to be. So what separates a group of Christians gathered from a church? If you have a bunch of us over at your house, if, I'm, if I have people over at my house, is it church just because I'm there? If we listen to a sermon on YouTube, if we listen to some music and sing together and stand together, are we having church? What makes a group of gathered people a church? There's many things. There's sacraments. There's the authority of the word. There's eldership. There's rulership. But at the heartbeat, at the center of it all, is why we're here. Are we here for God's business or for ours? Are we submitted to God's word? Or are we just plucking preferences and need our, need our emotional fix for the week, and that way we can go back to living our life as usual? This is supposed to be a feel-good sermon. I don't think it's landing that way. How's it feeling? No? Okay. No. I kind of took a turn a little bit earlier. Well, this is important, y'all. If, 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 if somebody pats me on the back one, say, one day and says, man, you've got a thousand people showing up on a Sunday, but they're just all Christians who left their church and came to this church, man, like, I would have felt like I failed. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I know there's some bad places. I know some of y'all had to leave churches that, for, for various reasons. I'm not saying leave, but I'm saying if, if we're just growing by stealing sheep... Just because we're doing something better than the church that you came from? If that's where we grow in five years, if we're large just because we took people who were already on their way to heaven and now they're, they're here until they go there, like, man, like, I don't know if I'd be able to celebrate that, y'all. But imagine the person that's sitting next to you right now. Imagine that person sitting next to you other than your spouse. Imagine that's the person that you've been sharing the gospel with for weeks and months, and maybe even years. Imagine one day they text you on a Sunday morning and says, hey, man, I'll come. Imagine that Sunday, y'all. Imagine the Sunday where we have the response time at the end of the service, and that person, without saying a word, gets up out the aisle and walks to the back and wants to have a conversation. Imagine that Sunday. Imagine the next Sunday where that person has given their life to Jesus and for the first time is worshiping as a brother or a sister. Imagine that Sunday. Now imagine the Sunday where that person brought his friend. And that person brought his friend. Y'all, if we got 20,000 people gathering up on a Sunday who were dead in their sins that came to life in Jesus Christ, we will figure it out. If we have 20 people that were dead in their sins, that come to new life in Christ and worship on Sunday, praise God and amen. amen. We want to, I want us to be Radiant Church, y'all. Not just show up to Radiant Church. And that means we all have to be on task. We've all got to do a part. Some of you may be like, man, I, I, I don't really feel comfortable sharing the gospel. I'm kind of an introvert. Like sharing the gospel isn't a personality thing, y'all. 
how you share the gospel may be a personality thing. But sharing the gospel isn't just for extroverts. It isn't just for the professional Christians. If you know Jesus, you know enough about Jesus to talk about Jesus. Tell them what he did for you. (laughs) Start there. I was dead in my sins and Jesus saved me. How? I don't know, but it's great. Let's read the Bible together. Okay. You just share the gospel. That's it. That's all it takes, y'all. That's all it takes. They're going to ask you some question about Daniel and, and, and the ladder that they have. You can say, I don't know. Let's Google it. There's the internet. Let's find out. Let's read it together. You don't have to be an expert in this, y'all, but you do have to be about this. I think about the, uh, like the old mob, mob movies, right? Like they're all sitting at dinner. I, they told me not to share this example, but I'm going to use it, right? I, I think it works. I think Jake's laughing like, don't do it. I'm doing it. It's happening. So remember like the old, old mobster movies, and they're all sitting around the dinner table like on a Sunday, like, you know, passing all the food, having a great time. And then somebody whispers over to one dude, like, hey, man, there's a problem, right? And it's like they're pulling out like guns from underneath the table, like, all right, we, we're rolling, right? Like, that's, that's not the Christian life. I'm not saying that that's a Christian life. But I'm saying is there's some similarities between like, yo, we're family, but we also have a family business too now. So we can fellowship and hang out. Oh, Super Bowl. Okay, cool. Come over. You got some unbelievers coming? All right, bet. We got them, right? Who you got? I got this guy named Todd. Da, 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 da. You got this guy named Jake. Okay, cool. What? Hey, man, pray for me. my dude. I'll pray for your dude. Hey, let's be intentional. Amen. It means that we're always on the mission. We're never just hanging out, y'all. We're never just relaxing. We are always on the mission because I promise you the mission will fulfill you. Turn to John chapter 4. Let me give y'all some hope here, because y'all looking like, oh my God, I got to do some stuff. Well, yes, you do have to do some stuff, but it's actually good. A familiar story, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Some of you may know it. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time. I'm not going to read the the whole thing, but I want to start with the beginning and the end. John chapter 4, the first few verses. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water from him, and this is kind of picks up where some of you may know the story. A woman comes up to him. It's a phenomenal example of how to share the gospel, by the way. Not the point of today's message. Jesus is tired. He's been traveling, y'all. He's 100% human, so he gets tired like us. He gets thirsty like us, and he asks this woman to draw him some water. He has this interchange with this woman, and they go back and forth about where should we worship, kind of peripheral issues. Jesus gets right to the heart of Master about what are you going to do about Jesus. The woman ends up not only getting saved, but starting kind of a 10-city revival going to tell everyone about what Jesus had done for her. And pick up in verse 27. Disciples had been sent off, and they come back after this conversation is over. In John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed, and he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Because Jesus shouldn't have been talking to her, according to the cultural rules at the time. Then the woman left her water jar, went to the town, told people to come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, listen to this. 
the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Think about that for just a second, y'all. The story started with Jesus near exhaustion, sitting down at the end of a well. His disciples had been sent off to go get food. He asked the woman for water. The woman has a conversion spirit. She meets Jesus for real, not a metaphor for meeting Jesus, actually meets Jesus, sees him as Jesus, gives her life to him and repents of her sin and lives a different person. The disciples come back saying, hey, man, we've been traveling all this time. We brought some food back here, eat. And he says, nah, I'm good. Why? Because I just did the will of my father, and that sustains me, and that satisfies me. Think about the last gospel conversation that you had. Could have been yesterday, could have been a day, could have been years ago. But think about the last time that you explicitly talked to an unbeliever about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants from their life. Talk, think about that experience. How did you feel after that? You're like, I'm about to read the Bible forever. Like, I'm about to worship. Like, you feel this rush of excitement and joy. Some of you probably prayed or sung or called about 10 other people that didn't know Jesus because you're like, man, I'm hot right now. Let me, let me just let me go call everybody now. Like, I'm, you feel this joy and excitement. Why, y'all? Because the commands of God are not burdensome. They're life. The great commandment to love one another, great commission to go make disciples is not burdensome. It will give you life. Husbands, wives, your marriage is in a stuck place. Communication is missing one another. The lights have gone off. The temperature has gone cold. Do you know the least effective way to work on your relationship is by focusing on each other? Because you're always going to find something wrong. You're never going to run out of issues if you just stare at each other and try to fix each other. Let me give you the best thing you can do for your marriage. Get on mission together. Y'all both write down some names of some unbelievers, and every day y'all pray for those people. And every day y'all try to have a conversation about what we're going to do to move this ball down the field. You get on mission in your marriage and watch that thing turn around. Families, you got, you got children who are going a little crazy. Invite them into the eternal mission of God. Hey, who in your class doesn't know Jesus? I don't know yet. Let's make a list of all the names in your class. We're going to pray for those folks. And we're going to look for an opportunity to talk about Jesus today. Here's the thing. They may not even be saved. You can put them on mission. That's fine. Talking about Jesus, you might actually learn about Jesus. There's something life-giving about focusing outward and upward rather than inward and downward. Instead of focusing on the issues that you have, the issues that the other person has, instead of focusing that way, point your gaze outward and upward to God and his mission and watch how the Lord meets you and sustains you in that. So, let me land this plane, y'all. Here's what I'm going to ask y'all to do. I'm going to ask you to, to pick one person that you know does not know Jesus. Think of their name right now. Pick one person that you know does not know Jesus. Think of that person right now. Let me give some guidance. A person that's local, preferably. 
Now, if your heart is burning for a friend or a family member who's, who's gone, I'm not amen, praise God. But if it's all the same to you, pick somebody who's local. Think of somebody who's local to this area that you interact with. It could honestly be the person that you don't even like. Some of y'all begin to think about your family, friends, people you like. Maybe the person that you've been avoiding at your job, that might be the person. Pray about it. I don't know. Think about one person who's local and also think about somebody who is a peer. So what I mean by peer, somebody who's not on the receiving end of your benevolence. Somebody who's around your same age, around your same station of life, around your same socioeconomic status. Because we want to be clear what this relationship is about. This is not a relationship that you're helping somebody out because they're going through a hard time. No, you're talking to somebody who's just like you in the same position as you, and you are clear about this relationship. This relationship is because you're dead in your sins, and I want to see that change. Think about somebody who's local. Think about somebody who's a peer. Think about one person. And when you come here next week on Sunday, we're going to give out little book cards, and we're going to start as a church a season of 40 days of prayer for that one person. We're going to do this together as a church. So we've got a whole week to come up with one name. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be intentional with that person. There's this thing called relational evangelism that has kind of gotten popular because I think it's, it's only popular because it's misunderstood. And it basically says, be as nice to people as you can, and eventually they'll ask you about Jesus. That doesn't work, y'all. Nobody's that nice. No one's going to be like, man you're, man, you're just so nice. There's got to be a God who created the heavens and the earth who wants me to give my life to him. Can we talk about that? It's not going to happen. Relational evangelism is different from street preaching, but you're still talking about Jesus explicitly. So it means, hey, man, you've been in my heart recently. Would you mind just getting together and just reading through some scripture every once in a while? Hey, man, I know you've been going to church for a long time. What is it about Christianity? That just turned you off. Let's talk about that. It means having an explicit, direct conversation with somebody about Jesus and the gospel. So think about one person who you can have regular interactions with, somebody who's local preferably, somebody who is a peer to you, and come up with a name. And next week, what we're going to do as a a church is we're going to begin 40 days of prayer for that person together as a church. In your huddles, we're going to be praying for that person. On Sunday mornings, we're going to be praying for that person. Throughout the week, we're going to be talking about that person. Why? Because I want to make sure that as we grow, we grow the right direction. We grow towards God and his mission, not just to being a comfortable, fun, safe place to be on Sunday mornings. We don't have to choose either or. We can do both, y'all. But if one gets lost, it's usually the mission that gets lost. We want to make sure that doesn't get lost because I would submit if the mission gets lost, we cease to be a church. And now we're just a really cool social club that meets in a building on Sunday mornings. If we lose the mission, we lose the name. If we lose the name, y'all, we're not doing church at all. Y'all with me on this? I promise y'all this is supposed to be like a, hey, didn't, didn't go that way, but praise God. <laughs> Didn't go that way, but I, I don't. So come back next week. We're going to pick up Mark. It's going to be a great time, right? Uh, it's, going be, it's going to be a great time. We're going to pick up Mark. But I want to be clear here, y'all. Without the mission, we stop being a church. Amen. If we're not set apart for God's purposes, then, hey, man, it's fun and it's cool and I love you all. We're just not a church. And I'm just not a pastor. 
I'm just a guy talking for 30 minutes at a time. But if we're a church, then we got to be about the church's business. And the church's business is taking those who are dead in their sins, preaching truth, hope, and love to them, seeing the Lord save them, train them up to go out, preach truth, hope, and love, and do it again. That's who we are, y'all. Whatever you, whatever you were told about Radiant Church that got you here, those things are probably true. But who we are at our core is we're a people about our Father's business. And I want to invite you to join us on that mission. Y'all, we're going to end our sermon the way we're going to end all of our services going forward. So some of you may know the, the refrain that we say on Sunday mornings, that we are not like a family, we are. Amen. We're going to change that up, y'all. I think we do the family thing pretty well. Praise God for our hospitality team. Give it up for the hospitality team. Yes. Um, there's, there's a million people who think about every nook and cranny, every small detail to make it feel like we're family because that's what we're trying to communicate. And I think we do that really well. What I don't want to get lost is that we're a family on mission. I asked you a question. I'm going to give you my answer. The question I asked you at the beginning was, what is church? If I were to give you a definition of church that wasn't just quoting a passage of Scripture, I would say the church is God's family on mission. That's my definition. So we're God's, apostrophe yes, possessive. He owns us. He gets to direct our steps and order how we do and why we do. We are family. We are adopted by God's grace in Christ Jesus to be brothers and sisters for all eternity. And we're on mission. We've got a job to do, each and every single one of us. So, to remind us all of that truth, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're not just going to say we're not like a family. We are a family. We're going to introduce kind of a new refrain here at Radiant Church. And we're going to practice it together. Y'all ready? This is an actual part for y'all to talk. Because y'all, last time y'all looked at me crazy when I, when I get y'all to talk. So this is actually your turn to do something. Y'all ready? So I'm going to say, we are God's family. And you're going to say, on mission. We're going to practice it right now. Y'all ready? We're God's family. We're God's family. Y'all ready for that? Y'all willing to do that with me? Amen. Let's pray together.